We read the word of God together in 1 John chapter 2. We're going to begin reading at verse 12 and continue reading through chapter 3, verse 3. And the reason I chose this section of God's word is because of the references that John makes to God as our Father. So pay a special attention to those many references that God is our Father. 1 John 2, verse 12. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because ye have known the Father. I have written unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Little children, it is the last time. And as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out, that they might be made manifest, that they were not all of us. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth, but because ye know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Let that therefore abide in you which ye have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he hath promised us, even eternal life. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you. But as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him that when he shall appear, we may have confidence 
and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If ye know that he is righteous, ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. We read God's word that far. Let's consider the teaching of the Catechism in Lord's Day 46 this morning. Lord's Day 46. Why hath Christ commanded us to address God thus, our Father? <clears throat> that immediately, in the very beginning of our prayer, he might excite in us a childlike reverence for and confidence in God, which are the foundation of our prayer. Namely, that God is become our Father in Christ, and will much less deny us what we ask of him in true faith than our parents will refuse us earthly things. Why is it here added, which art in heaven? Lest we should form any earthly conceptions of God's heavenly majesty, and that we may expect from his almighty power all things necessary for soul and body. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, we have been considering the subject of Christian prayer. Prayer, which is the chief part of the thankfulness that God requires of us as his children, and which is the means by which God is pleased to give us his grace and Holy Spirit, the prayer which is acceptable to God, we have seen, is the prayer that is directed to God and to God alone from a true heart for all things necessary for body and soul. The prayer that is directed to God in humility, knowing who we are and knowing how great he is. And the prayer that is directed to God in the full confidence and assurance of faith that God will hear us for Christ's sake. Now this morning, we continue our instruction on Christian prayer. We're asking the Lord Jesus to teach us how to pray, to teach us what to pray, to teach us about the true attitudes we are to have in prayer. And this morning, we come to our Lord Jesus and we ask him, Lord, how ought we to address God in prayer? What ought we to call him? What attitudes ought we to have when we approach him? 
And the Lord Jesus answers us, When you pray, then you ought to say, Our Father, which art in heaven. That's how you ought to address him. That's what you may call him. And that's the attitude with which you are to approach him in your prayers. And our Lord does not mean to say by that, that in every single prayer that we make, we must always begin our prayer with those exact words, our Father, which art in heaven, because we may use all of God's names when we pray to him. But what our Lord is teaching us is not only may we use those words, and ought we to use those words frequently when we come to God in prayer, but especially our Lord is teaching us that this is the attitude that we are to have when we approach God in our prayers. Whatever names of God we might choose to use in a particular prayer, we are to always approach God in prayer with the firm belief and the heartfelt understanding that he is our Father who is in heaven. So let's consider together how to address God in prayer this morning. First of all, that we are to address him, our Father, in heaven. Secondly, that this means we are to have an attitude of childlike reverence for God in prayer. And finally, that we are to have an attitude of childlike confidence in God in prayer. Our Lord Jesus Christ teaches us in the model prayer, the Lord's Prayer, that when we pray, we are to say, Our Father which art in heaven. And our Lord teaches us by that, first of all, let's notice that we are to pray to him and approach him as our Father who is in heaven, not our Father who is on the earth. We have a Father who is on the earth. Maybe our Father is still alive. Maybe our Father has passed away. But we all have a Father on the earth. But the Lord Jesus teaches us to pray to our Father who is in heaven. And when he teaches that, he doesn't mean to say that God is only located in heaven as if God is not located anywhere else, as if God is not located here on the earth, but only located in heaven. He's not teaching us about the location of God. But as the Catechism teaches us, the Lord is teaching us that when we come to God in prayer, we are to have an understanding of the truth about who God is lest we form any earthly conceptions of his heavenly majesty. We are to have a conception of God in our minds and in our hearts that is one of greatness, one of great heavenly majesty when we come to God in prayer. We are to recognize that God is not a God who is limited, a God who is finite, like us. That would be an earthly conception of God. When we come to God in prayer, 
every single time we come to him in prayer. We are not to think that God is such a one like we are. That God is a man like us. A man of like passions like us. A man or a woman like us who talks like us and acts like us and behaves like us. That God is subject to sinful passions like us. So that God is limited in his power. That God is small. That God is weak. That God is finite like we are. Those are all earthly conceptions. And we are not to have any earthly conceptions of God when we pray to him. But we are to pray to him as our Father which art in heaven. And by that the Lord is teaching us to have a lofty, heavenly conception of God when we come to him in prayer. Just think of the conception that fills your mind when you look up into the heavens. On a bright, beautiful day when there isn't a cloud in the sky and you look up into the heaven, you look up into that deep blue sky and you scan the heavens above and you try with your gaze to penetrate as deeply as you can into that bright blue heaven above, but you can't penetrate into it. Your eyes cannot penetrate to the end of it. It just seems to go on and on and on Or think of a beautiful, bright, clear night sky. When you look up into the heaven and see that beautiful canopy of bright, sparkling stars. And again, you try to penetrate with your gaze into the heavens to see as far as you can see. Maybe you look through a telescope and you gaze into the deepest parts of space, but you can't penetrate. You can never see to the end of it. It just goes on and on and on. By that, the Lord teaches us through the general revelation of creation itself that he is a God of vastness, of immensity, of infinity. He is a God who has no ends, no limitations, no bounds. He is a God of endless perfection and glory and majesty. And that is how we are to think of him at all times. And if we turn to the scriptures, we find the very same revelation about God. Especially as we look through the Old Testament, we find in the very first verse of the Bible that the God to whom we pray is the one who created the heavens and the earth. He created not just the earth, but the heavens. Not just the sky above us, but all of the heavens. The vastness of the heavens. He created it. As we look through the Old Testament, we find repeatedly a a lofty and a glorious revelation about who God is. He is the Lord of hosts, the Lord who reigns over all of the stars and all of the angels and all of the hosts of heaven. He is the Lord Most High, the King of Kings. We are told that heaven is his throne and the earth is his footstool. He is the God of heavenly majesty and heavenly glory. The prophet Isaiah sees a vision of this great God and he sees him sitting on the throne of heaven, surrounded by the cherubim, the seraphim, the most glorious creatures of angelic splendor, who with their wings fly around his throne, 
and cease not to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. When Solomon built a temple to the Lord and he offered up a prayer to God, he said, O Lord God, the heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain thee, and how much less this house that I have builded. Solomon recognized the greatness of his heavenly majesty. He fills the heaven of heavens with his glory and power and majesty. The Apostle Paul speaks of him as the immortal God who dwells in the light which no man can approach unto, so glorious, so immense, transcendent above all creatures. He is the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity. Isaiah 57, verse 15. Our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Psalm 115, verse 3. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Psalm 113, verse 4. The whole scripture teaches us about the glory and the majesty of the one to whom we pray. And we are to remember that. And as that conception, that high theology, if you will, that deep theology, that Glorious theology sinks deeper and deeper into our souls. And we're going to grow in our prayer life as well. But our Lord teaches us that we are to pray to God as our Father, which art in heaven. And that in the second place. Our Father, which art in heaven. And when our Lord teaches us that we are to think of this great and glorious God as our Father, then he teaches us something very wonderful, something very blessed and precious to the heart of the believer. This great, glorious, everywhere present, almighty God What is he to me? Who is he to me? The Lord Jesus says, he's your father. He's your father. That's what he is to you. That's who he is to you. That's what his relationship to you is. He's your father. And that's what the Apostle John writes repeatedly in this epistle. And that's what we find revealed especially throughout the New Testament, whereas the Old Testament reveals to us that God is the Lord of hosts, the Most High God. In the New Testament, we find this beautiful revelation that God is our Father. And we found that again in this epistle of John. The apostle, the beloved apostle, who dwelt so closely to the Lord Jesus throughout the three years of his earthly ministry, the beloved John tells us that God is our Father. In chapter 2, verse 12, he says, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. 
I write unto you, little children, because ye have known the Father. I write unto you, little children, because ye have known the Father. Even the little children in the congregations of the early church to which John wrote his epistles, even the little children knew that God was their Father. That whereas they have an earthly father, they have a heavenly father. God is their father. And the Lord teaches us everywhere that we adults must become like a little child and to recognize that God is our father. He goes on in the chapter to warn us not to love the world or the lusts of the flesh or the lust of the eyes or the pride of life because none of this is of the Father. None of this comes from the Father, but this comes from the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. He goes on in verse 22, who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Those who acknowledge the Son have the Father. Those who deny the Son, those who deny that Jesus is the Son, that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, that is Antichrist. But those who acknowledge the Son they also acknowledge the Father. And those who have the Son, they also have the Father through the Son. Because the Son came into the world so that God might be our Father. The Catechism teaches us that God has become our Father for the sake of Christ. You see, in our first parents, we fell into sin. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve experienced God as their father. They knew God as their father. They loved God as their father. And they knew and experienced his love for them as their father. But they rejected him and turned to the devil and made him their father. And and in them, we made the devil our father. So that in Adam and Eve, we became unworthy of having God as our father. We don't deserve to have God as our Father. We're unworthy. We're undeserving. Every single sin that we commit makes us unworthy of God as our Father. But the Father sent the Son into the world so that through the shedding of His precious blood on the cross in our place, By him taking upon himself all of our sins, all of our iniquities, and bearing them up on his shoulders on the cross, he might appease the wrath of God against us and give unto us the right to have God as our Father. So the Lord Jesus teaches us, for my sake, because of what I will do for you on the cross, because of my worthiness and my righteousness and my obedience as the Son. When you pray, 
say, Our Father, which art in heaven. In chapter 3, verse 1, the Apostle John marvels at that glorious truth in what I would call one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is, and every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Beloved, we are the sons of God. What manner of love has the Father bestowed upon us? Who can describe it? Who can quantify it? Who can satisfactorily explain it, preach it, proclaim it? Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that he has sent his only begotten Son, so that we might be the sons of God so that we might be the daughters of God, and so that we might pray to him, our Father, which art in heaven. So the Lord Jesus teaches us to address God that way so that we will approach him with the proper attitude. The proper attitude with which we are to approach God in prayer is, first of all, a childlike reverence for God. That's part of the foundation of every prayer. This is part of the foundation of a prayer. Without it, prayer crumbles. Prayer has no foundation. This is part of its foundation, that we have in our hearts a childlike reverence For God, as our Father. So why does the Lord teach us to address God, our Father, which art in heaven? So that immediately, at the very beginning of our prayer, he might excite in us that childlike reverence for God. That's his purpose. And that's why we ought to pray often with those words. We can use other words. We can call him our Lord. We can call him our God and all the rest. But we ought not to neglect to address him as our Father, which art in heaven. Because the Lord is wanting to excite in us. Isn't that wonderful? He wants to excite something in us. He wants to excite us. He wants us to be excited spiritually. When we call to mind the blessed reality This one is my Father. To excite in us a childlike reverence for God, first of all. Now, reverence is respect, admiration, awe, wonder. That's the idea of reverence. And the more we understand and believe and remember that we're praying to our Father who is in heaven the more we are going to have reverence for him. When we do not have earthly conceptions of him, but we maintain in our minds 
that this is the great and lofty God of heaven and earth, we're going to come to him with reverence, with awe, with wonder. But the more we understand that this great God of heavenly majesty is my Father, the more we will come to him with a childlike reverence. You see the difference? We need both. We need a creaturely reverence of God as our creator and the almighty, great, infinite God, but we need a childlike reverence. in which we stand amazed and we have respect and awe and admiration for him as a child has for his good and faithful father. That kind of reverence. We have to think of the reverence, the respect, the admiration of a child for his father, a child who has a good, godly, and faithful father. Now, When Jesus teaches us to pray to God as our Father which art in heaven, to excite a childlike reverence in our hearts at the very beginning of our prayer, we have to see here that there are at least two attitudes that we have to beware of. And the first is that we would have what I might call a childlike terror of God. Or a childlike dread or childlike feeling of absolute anxiety and dread and terror to come before God, like a child who has a wicked father, a child who has an abusive father, a child who has a father who beats him down verbally, emotionally, physically, A child who has a father that doesn't love him. A father that doesn't care for him or her. Now you tell a child like that, when you pray, come to God and say, Our Father which art in heaven. And what is that going to excite in the mind of that child? What kind of feelings? What kind of attitude? It's going to excite an attitude and a feeling, perhaps, of a childlike terror. The terror of a little child who runs and hides behind the couch when his father comes home because he's scared of him. He doesn't want to see his father. He doesn't want his father to approach him because he doesn't know the love of a father. He doesn't have a father who is tender, who is kind, who is compassionate. A father who cares for his needs, who protects him from danger. But he has a father who is dangerous to him, a father who harms him. That kind of a child, you tell him to pray to God as his father who is in heaven, he may just have a a sense of anxiety and fear. That's not what the Lord wants us to have. When the Lord says, pray to God as your father which art in heaven, because he wants to excite in us a childlike reverence, it's not talking about a childlike terror. It's talking about a childlike respect and admiration 
for his father, who is a good father to him. Children who do not have a good father, they bear a heavy burden in life. And the gospel to such children is God is not that kind of father. God is a good father. God is full of kind compassion and abundant in mercy and grace. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. That's what kind of a father he is. He is gentle with his children, yes. He chastens us because he's a good father, and good fathers do that. They chasten, they correct, they rebuke. Good fathers are firm. Good fathers discipline their children. But like a good father, God disciplines in love to correct and not in fiery wrath and indignation to beat down and harm. That's the gospel to all of us. That's the gospel to children, too, who didn't have that kind of a father. The more we lay hold upon that by faith, lay hold on that, beloved. Lay hold on it. That's the kind of father he is. Lay hold on that. And then we will grow in a proper childlike reverence the kind of admiration and awe and wonder that a child has for a father who took care of him, taught him, disciplined him, and brought him up in the fear of the Lord. That, in the first place, is an attitude we must be aware of. But in the second place, when we are told and taught to have a childlike reverence for God, the Lord is teaching us we have to have reverence. For God. Not childlike levity. Children can sometimes have a light hearted kind of attitude, the attitude they have towards their friends, the way they talk to their friends, the way they talk to their brothers and sisters. They talk to them as on an equal plane. There's a certain attitude there. And children have to be taught, don't talk to your father and mother that way. You are to have a proper respect for them. You are to have a proper reverence for your parents. There has to be reverence for God. And that's, first of all, the reverence that he is God, the God of heavenly majesty, but then that he's our father too. Think of all that he has done for us in Christ. We are to have a proper and healthy Respect for him when we pray. In the Protestant Reformed churches, most of us who grew up in the Protestant Reformed churches were taught that when you pray, you pray to God, thee and thou. And some of you didn't grow up in the Protestant Reformed churches and you were taught to pray with you and your. And both of those are legitimate ways of speaking to God. But the reason that we in the Protestant Reformed churches were taught to pray with thee and thou 
is not because that's a law that we have to keep, not because the Bible says you must pray that way, but as a way of expressing our reverence for God. And if when we use those pronouns, it helps us to have reverence for God, then it's a good thing. On the other hand, if by praying with thee and thou, and all of the grammatical structures that go along with thee and thou, if that so complicates our prayers that we're not able to draw near to God, the way we draw near to our Father, then it could be a hindrance. On the other hand, there are many who pray to God with the pronouns you and your. And as I said, that's totally legitimate. And if that is a means of helping us to draw near to God as our Father in the intimacy of prayer, then it's a good thing. But, on the other hand, if praying with those pronouns we find to be a hindrance to us, that it causes us to have a light-hearted attitude and to talk to God as if he's just another person on the same level as us, then we ought maybe not to use those pronouns. This is one of those Christian liberty things of which the Apostle writes in Romans 14, verse 5, Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Let each of us be fully persuaded in our own mind about the way we pray, that when we pray, we come with a childlike reverence, first of all. Finally, our Lord Jesus teaches us to pray, Our Father which art in heaven, to excite in us a childlike confidence in God. Confidence. We are to have an attitude of confidence when we come to God in prayer. The kind of confidence that a child has when he comes to his dad and says, Dad, I need this or that. Would you please give me what I need? The child comes with confidence. He knows that his father will give him what he asks because he needs it. Confidence is another word for faith when applied to God. When we speak of confidence in God, we're talking about faith. We can't see him, but faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Faith is a confidence in the God whom we cannot see. Confidence in him. Faith, trust, reliance. We believe that because he is God, he is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think when we come to him in prayer. He is able, he is infinitely able to grant all of our requests. God is able to do that. He is the almighty God. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. Nothing is impossible to the Lord. Do not sell the Lord short. Do not shorten his hand. He's able to do what we need him to do for us. And when we remember that he is our father, then we remember he's willing to do it too. He's not only able, but he's willing. We have earthly fathers, and sometimes they're not able to do for us what they need to and ought to do for us. They're not able to. 
God is able and he is willing because he loves us. He cares about us with an infinite, unending, everlasting love that would do no harm to us, but that would do only good to us. So be confident in him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Rely upon him. Believe. Believe that he can and he will grant what you ask of him in true faith. As the Catechism says. Now finally, there are two attitudes here too, at least two that we must beware of. When the Lord wants to excite in us at the very beginning of our prayers a childlike confidence in God as our Father, he's not referring to that childlike confidence of the brat. That childlike entitlement attitude of so many children that we see in society today who have this demanding attitude toward their parents, who have this thought, this expectation that they are entitled to have their parents give to them whatever they want. That's wicked. We are not to have that kind of an attitude. And there are some people today who actually think of God that way. They think of God almost like he is a genie in a bottle. And through prayer you rub the bottle and out comes the genie ready to grant all your wishes. God isn't like that. God isn't that kind of a father either. The kind of a father who thinks that he ought to just give his child whatever he wants whenever he wants it. God is God, and God is a good Father who gives us only what we need and when we need it. But he wants us to ask for it. When the Catechism says the childlike confidence, it means that we come to him with the assurance, with the confidence, that God, as our Father, will give us what we need. When we ask what we need, when we ask. And sometimes we don't know what we need. So we have a trial, we have an affliction, and we pray for relief. We have a thorn in our side, and like the apostle, we pray that it will be taken away, and the Lord leaves it. And we must not then doubt We must not doubt his goodness. We must not doubt his faithfulness. We must not doubt his existence. Some people go that far. Well, if God doesn't answer my prayer, then there must not be a God. No. God gives us what we need when we need it. And sometimes what we need is for that trial and affliction to remain for a time. Because God is teaching us through that trial trust him, to be patient, to find joy in adversity, to be thankful at all times and for all things. So we are to pray for what we need in confidence, but not with a proud attitude of entitlement. And then secondly and finally this morning, childlike confidence means that we don't have timidity 
Again, the child who has a father who is not a good father might be too timid to ask him for anything at all, even a piece of bread, because he's afraid and he doesn't trust that his father will do good to him. The Lord says, when you pray, you pray, Our Father which art in heaven, and you have confidence. You be confident. Don't be timid. Don't doubt. Ask your Father. Ask Him. He loves you. He will give you what you need. He will. So those are the blessed truths that are bound up in that opening address that our Lord teaches us in the model prayer. Such a simple thing that we say so often. Our Father which art in heaven. In such blessed, precious truths bound up in that opening address of the Lord's Prayer. May God grant unto us that we may have those attitudes of childlike reverence and confidence in God as our Father, for Christ's sake. Amen. Our dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we give thee thanks for the gospel of thy fatherly love, goodness, and faithfulness toward us. May the preaching of thy word this morning be a great comfort and encouragement to us. May it serve as the balm of Gilead, as a medicine to our souls. And may it serve to correct any errors in our hearts. And we pray, Father, that thou would increase in our hearts those attitudes that we as children of thee, the living God, might know thee as thou art and who thou art to us. May we go home today having beheld what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the children of God. And may we 